Hi everyone, Bill Seymour here. Welcome to the Aviation Conversation. Joined today by Jenny Stanley, our ESG manager. Hi, Jenny. How are you? Hi, Phil. I'm good, thanks. I'm good. How are you? Yep, all good here. Thank you. Um, this really comes off the back of uh, a couple of weeks of sustainability type conferences. Um, we attended the Aviation Carbon Conference at Heathrow two and a half weeks ago, and uh, we were also recently in Dublin for the Aircraft Leasing Ireland sustainability session. So um, I think we're fairly up to date with the industry uh, issues as they've occurred over the last few weeks. And of course, we're coming to the end of the calendar year. Uh, we have a huge COP28 conference in Dubai coming up, which is uh, obviously the whole world is convening on Dubai to talk about uh, the broader ESG aspects. So um, I thought it'd be good to uh, share our views of things that have been happening. And um, uh, I will just first kick off with with our own product, of course, the uh, IBA uh, CO2 carbon calculator. Um, just to keep everybody in the loop, um, we we have we are looking at a change of methodology um, in terms of of how we we present some of the uh, CO2 emissions and. Really, although we do that at an MSN level, we, we look at the uh, our estimates of the fuel burn CO2 emissions on a per aircraft MSN level basis, and then look at how that aircraft has flown over the year. Uh, there is a, a bit of a trend in the industry around looking at aggregating a fleet uh, rather than looking at it as MSN level. So here at IBA, we are uh, flexible in that, but we can do the aggregation method, which I think is going to be preferred by some some banks in the future. Um, but uh, keep close to us on that. We're happy to talk about the product and how it's portrayed. Uh, we are extremely flexible in terms of what the different sectors of industry want. So uh, I won't go into much more detail on that um, other than uh, letting you know that we are developing with the with the latest uh, requirements of the industry. Is that a fair reflection, Jenny? Have I missed anything out that should be mentioned on the calculator? No, I think that's uh, that's a really good reflection. I think we're we are working with institutions. We're working with, um, I guess, key stakeholders uh, to make sure that what we're getting, what the product that we we're producing, is going to meet the needs and expectations of those those big major banks. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, thanks for that. Um, now. Really, Jenny, uh, we've had a really busy year uh, because, of course, as well as the calculator, we do uh, offer advice and support with various sectors. Um, and uh, I'm going to come and ask you in a minute about some of those projects. But I do want to remind everybody 
that we are recognised by the uh, International Capital Markets Association, ICMA, in terms of, of how we can help. So uh, what that really means is we can cover things like verification and second party opinion provision uh, if you are looking at things like sustainability linked loans. So I just wanted to wave a flag there. Um, so Jenny, um, could you run through a few of the projects we've done over the last year, the type of clients and uh, what we've delivered? Yeah, thanks, Phil. I mean, it's been a really busy year, to, to be honest. We we started off the year looking at um, building decarbonisation curves for some, some large banks um, and investment banks to support them in their need to hit net zero by 2050. So looking at not just necessarily their portfolio, but measuring that against maybe the MPP decarbonisation curve or the IEA decarbonisation curve to give a clear path as to how they're going to reach net zero by 2050. Um, we then worked with an investment company to help them launch an Article 8 fund, investing in aviation. Uh, we've worked with airports in the UK and electricity suppliers to look at the future of aviation in terms of electric, hybrid, um, hybrid and hydrogen cells um, and what that is going to mean for electricity suppliers. Um, and we've also been working on a life cycle project as well. Um, so the full life cycle of an A320neo. Uh, we, st we started that a few months back to look at within the manufacturing, operational and end of life, exactly with the emissions that were produced in each phase of those to, to give a, a break even point for, uh, for net zero. Um, I think uh, actually I, I do want to quiz you on that. So just put this in my very simple mind. Yeah. Really what we've done, we've looked at the whole of the manufacturing process in terms of all the bits and pieces required to assemble a brand new, in this case, A320neo. And we've we've assessed the, the CO2 that's been emitted in getting all of those bits and pieces to let's say Toulouse or Hamburg. And then we've 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 assessed the fuel saving or the CO2 emission saving that that Neo will produce in the coming years and seeing how that nets off against the whole production cycle. Is that a fair summary. Yeah, absolutely. And we've taken it one step further as well. So that's where we started. That was our kind of initial ambition was to be able to see that net even point. Um, but then we've gone on to stage three of looking at actually um, the end of life. How do we at this exact moment in time, how are we disposing of aircraft? Is that in a uh, sustainable way? That's mm. a very big question. But also looking at this is what we're doing right now. These are some of the options that we could do for the future that would be more sustainable. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt that that part of the industry in terms of the end of end of life process that has been. I think there's a couple of organisations who were set up probably over 10 years ago that started to look at that. Um, but from what I can see at some of the, the 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 airports where disposals, if I call them that, take place, uh, there's still an awful lot of landfill um, rather than anything that's recycled. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a hot, hot topic in the future. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we hope to get some engagement from you all in terms of how we assess that. Obviously, each aircraft could be different because you have some airlines want a specific configuration and their, their 
interiors, the buyer furnished equipment, BFE, maybe from a different place. So obviously we're looking at this in the round. Uh, and uh, uh, but I think from what I can see of the early figures, it's it's uh, it's a very important part of assessing what this means to the world in terms of the CO2 uh, production over over a few decades. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to pick up now on some of the, uh, the the new technology that we've seen over the past year. I'm just going to pick up on a couple of those in a very broad sense. Uh, uh, if, if those of you are listening who are involved in other initiatives, do please forgive us. This is just really a quick heads up in terms of some of the projects that I've I found of, of interest myself. Um, the Heart Aerospace uh, uh, looking at their four engined electric slash hybrid um, aircraft in that sort of uh, uh, 2030 seat category. And from what I can see, uh, that's going to be quite an important product in the the regional sector. Uh, it's relatively short sectors. Uh, from from the information I have, it's it's sort of from 200 nautical miles, possibly up to 400 nautical miles. But that will depend on the specific power plant uh, mix that's taken, and also in terms of you know absolute passengers carried. Um, but I think it's an indication of how much investment is going on at that uh, smaller end turboprop market. Uh, the reason we're really interested in that is because uh, obviously that will impact the the current generation of aircraft that service that sector. So we're very, very important to us with our appraisers hats on in terms of understanding the economic life, whether there's going to be an impact on the current generation. And indeed, given that there's a lot of advancement of technology in that sector with electric slash hybrid. Um, uh, some of the questions we're being asked are around, you know, what will be the economic life of that specific product? Could it be superseded or could become uh, obsolete relatively quickly rather than, let's say, a 25 year life? So uh, we're getting a lot of questions on that type of uh, methodology. And I don't have all the answers for you yet, other than we're watching that space very closely. And um, hopefully the the combined brain power uh, of the IBA uh, research team and ISTAT appraiser team, uh, we we hope to give you a, a pretty good response on that. Uh, we're also seeing developments with, with with the engine technology Zero Avia um, out there at uh, Kemble or Cotswolds International Airport, whatever it's called. Um, they uh, they they're, they're looking at hydrogen cell. Uh, of of engines in again in that sort of turboprop category, but then moving forward, their their roadmap is developing much larger engine technology uh, that will hopefully be using green hydrogen in the future. So I think in terms of where the industry is at, um, I know one of the questions asked of Willie Walsh at the the Dublin ALI event on Monday um, when he was. Uh, in the forum there was, you know, does he believe that there will be um, sufficient advancement to meet net zero by 2050? Or uh, it was quoted that people like Tim Clark at Emirates uh, and Steve Harsey of uh, ALC, that perhaps there were going to be, you know, some, I don't think they actually believe that they're going to get to net zero by 2050. But I think the 
uh, Willie Walsh was absolutely clear. We will get there. Given the amount of investment, given the amount of pressure on the industry, we have to get there. So um, there definitely seems to be, you know, uh, the, the airlines want to get there. Uh, and I think we all want to get there as uh, members of the human race. Um, but I suppose as far as um, some of the dominant discussions, I think we've seen over the last few uh, months, um, SAF is obviously top of the agenda, but also non-CO2 issues. Uh, Jenny, do you want to just give us a run through on some of the thoughts you have around SAF? Yeah, I think um, SAF started out definitely last year. SAF was very much seen as the silver bullet. And I think now the industry is looking at SAF as being um, more of an interim solution to help us to get to net zero. You know, Willie Walsh um, saying on Monday that we are going to hit net zero by 2050. We absolutely are. And it's going to be SAF that, that's going to help us to get there. There's going to be a lot more investment required specifically into SAF. Um, I think from a, a regional perspective, um, the US obviously has a lot of incentives around SAF, um, as opposed to the EMIR, uh, the EU and the UK, which are much more regulating rather than that they're mandating SAF. Things like the um, Refuel EU, that they're not giving incentives for SAF, they're, they're punishing people effectively for not using SAF, which is an interesting approach in comparison to the US, who are just incentivizing the use of SAF, specifically on manufacturers. Um, within the, the EU specifically, their view, and I, d I do appreciate it, that their view is that it is going to take a lot. There's a lot of investment. It's going to take a long time. So incentives can only go on for so long. Actually, we're, we're much better off mandating um, the use of SAF and saying, you know, with Refuel EU, with that, you have to pick up a certain amount when you're in an EU airport. Um, to be able to take that money when that's not happening, to take that money and reinvest it back into SAF rather than giving that that incentive from that we're getting from the US. It's just it's a carrot and stick approach, you know, mm. two very, very different, um, very different approaches. I guess within the EU as well, there are 20 million um, free allowances set aside for airlines um, to incentivize SAF use. Um, hopefully that's going to encourage offtake agreements between airlines and producers and reduce the impact of that EU, EU ETS free allowances phasing out by 2026, um, which is going to have quite a big impact on, on airlines. With regards to, to non-CO2 emissions, that's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, I think. Every time we sort of go to a conference, it's, it's mentioned, it's a really key um, change in the industry. So for, for non-CO2, my personal opinion is we know it's there. We know we know that contrails exist. We know contrails are not great, but we don't know the actual extent of measuring those just yet. The science is still being um, worked out on that. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing something. We should be starting to look at measuring those contrails and looking at how we can make a difference because we know they're there. We also know they're not good. So we, we should be doing something on that. And I think there's... Um, watch this space from an IBA perspective on, on that to see to see where we go. I think it's a really important topic and the conversations around it are very, very interesting and we just need to continue to monitor those. Yeah, I, I think um, I think a lot of people know my views on that. I, I still want to see a bit more of the science. I mean, there are good times of the day, bad times of the day. There are some cooling and warming effects. And um, I remain to be convinced 
um, <laughs> because uh, uh, I just wonder if we're creating a whole new difficulty. It, you know, we have to be able to measure it and we have to be able to predict it. And um, it is going to be that balance between are you going to change the altitude an aircraft flies at because it's going to produce less contrails versus the CO2 additional emissions that will come as a result. So um, I still think we're at the early stages of that. I think we there's a lot of talk about it, but I I don't think the industry has the answers for that yet. I think, yeah, I, I agree to, to some degree with that. I think um, absolutely we need to be monitoring it. We just need to be, I think we're, we're at a great point where we're having those conversations so that, you know, without the conversations, we're not going to get to the answer. Um, I think we're, we're starting to monitor it and there are companies out there who are monitoring it, um, who are avoiding it, but we need to be sure that we are doing the right thing. So, Actually, as as you so rightly said, avoiding the contrail is great. But then, if you're using twice the amount of fuel, um, so you're increasing your CO two emissions, then that's that's not that's not a great place to be. Interestingly, um, so the Virgin Atlantic flight that's happening on Tuesday is that is the first transatlantic flight using 100% SAF, and there is claims of greenwashing and all that that are, that are going on with it. Um, but I'm really interested to see because they will be looking at contrails um, in that flight as well. So I'm really interested to see the effect of uh, SAF on contrails because there's been a lot of discussion around, well, if you're using SAF, then your contrails disappear, which is correct. Your contrails will decrease, but there will be another impact. And is that that there's going to be soots coming out the back of your aircraft rather than a, rather than a contrail? And what's the impact of that? So it's a really interesting study, I think, that we're going to get out of, uh, amongst other things, obviously, that the first 100% SAF transatlantic flight is very exciting. Um, but looking at that from a, from a contrails perspective as well is really interesting. Yeah, I will just make one point there, just in case there's anybody from uh, Gulfstream listening to this, because of Gulfstream, there was a flight last week uh, from Savannah to Farnborough of a, a business jet. So this is the first commercial uh, aircraft uh, transatlantic flight with 100% SAF. So, um, um, yeah, I think there's a, that that competition is actually quite good because I think competition in any industry drives innovation. Um, so I, I think uh, we, we look closely there. Um, I'm looking at my document, uh, Jenny, where... Um, that my scribbled notes from conferences do refer to things like um, uh, RTFCs. Is it the Renewable Transport Fuel Certificate? Again, this is a SAF. Is this a SAF-related matter? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a renewable. Yeah, the Renewable Transport Fuel Certificate is for each liter of renewable fuel supplied. The supplier has provided that RTFC. Um, which can be surrendered against their obligation for uh, emissions, effectively. Um, yeah, there, there are a few schemes that are out there, especially with it. Well, within the US a lot, um, but within the EU, there are a few. They're just quite difficult to find um, for the uh, for the SAF side of things. Um, so where uh, this is a little bit of a random question. We haven't rehearsed this one. What about book and claim then? That that's that's a system that I hear a lot about. Um, uh, have you have you got a, a sort of an elevator pitch couple of sentences on <laughs> uh, what what that's all about? 
Well, you know me so I've got a couple of sentences to say about anything. <laughs> Paragraphs. Um, book, I think book and claim is great. Um, as a, On a personal level, I think it's absolutely fantastic in the short term. Um, it is allowing uh, airlines who have not got access to that, um, they haven't got access to the feedstock in their particular area or they haven't got the infrastructure, but they can still invest into SAF technology. So they're still investing that and they're claiming back the benefit. So you are taking down a, a barrier there um, of uh, airlines that are only operating in certain places where there aren't SAF plants, but they can still take that benefit. And in the short term, I think that's great. What we need to be careful of is in a longer term situation that not all the SAF production plants are in one area of the world, because otherwise you're just going to be overpopulated. This is not a problem that we're anywhere near close to at the moment. But if you've got the US, for example, the, being the only producer of SAF, that is going to have both economic and um well, mainly economic uh, issues, I guess economic and productivity issues as well, because you can't just have that, that in one area, because if you have to ship it to another area, then you're losing all your benefit. Um, so for in the short term, I think booking claims great, but we just need to be aware of it is an interim solution to a much more trickier problem. OK, so but basically it's it is going to help, as you say, an airline that operates out of an airfield or airport where there isn't SAF immediately available, um, they're not going to be punished for that. There's ways that they can actually um, do, do I use the word offset? Uh, maybe that's not the right word, but they can <laughs> they can um, uh, show that they're doing some. Yeah, they're taking the, the they're using. They're taking ESG and sustainability seriously and they are investing in the in the product, um, yeah. even if they can't put it into their own aircraft. Um, I just wanted to bring up this point around uh, carbon capture because I, I suppose in it, I, that may be a relatively long-term uh, project. Uh, and again, we won't go into the details here, but I see a few airlines are investing in um, this type of uh, technology because, from what I understand, one one of the one of the initiatives could basically take out almost all the CO2 that's produced over a year in, in one foul swoop. Have I summarised that a little bit too simplistically? <laughs> I think that is a little bit too simple. I mean, that there, there is a company that is, uh, they're aiming to remove 1 billion tonnes um, of carbon, which is the whole of aviation's 2019 emissions. So if they can do that, amazing. I think direct air capture is, is really expensive. But for me, it is the solution. It is our long term solution. Um, and along with like hydrogen and electric aircraft as well, I think they're not going to happen overnight. We're not going to be using those to hit net zero by 2050. Mm -hmm. But to be very clear, that should not stop investment into it. Um, for me, especially um, carbon capture, that is the long-term solution. If we're putting something into the atmosphere, we should be taking it out again. If we're putting something bad in, we should be removing it again. That is how we're going to continue to be able to grow as an industry going forward. Um, and one of my colleagues reminded me, uh, when we were discussing carbon capture, uh, reminded me that actually, initially, the car was slower than horses were, you know, when we uh, when they first invented the car, and it didn't stop that that initiative and that innovation going. I think it's the same thing with hydrogen, green hydrogen specifically, and carbon capture as well. Yeah. 
Well, it's definitely uh, I'm excited to be part of the industry where I'm still learning, I must admit. Um, I think in terms of time, we'll we'll wrap it up there, Jenny. Um, we do uh, we will be doing a lot more in this subject over the, the next calendar year. So uh, please tune in and listen to uh, uh, what we have to do and keep an eye on our sustainability watch uh, briefings that we publish from time to time. Uh, is that actually is that monthly, uh, Jenny? Yeah, so we do a monthly sustainability watch that comes out in the first week of the month, looking backwards uh, to what's happened um, over the previous the previous month. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's all from me. Uh, thanks for uh, the conversation, Jenny. And um, I hope everybody out there is going to listen and watch and uh, contact us for our thoughts and uh, our updates on the product um, as we head towards uh, uh, holiday season and the new uh, calendar year in 2024. So uh, goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye.